Catherine, you know I follow you on Instagram, right? I follow you too. No, I know. I see all those cheeky comments and reactions you're always leaving on my posts. But while my feed is usually pictures of me sitting on airplanes and eating way too much food, yours is more like a beautiful pastiche of photos of you on beaches, surfing, swimming, snorkeling, and just generally leading the beachy kind of life a lot of us aspire to. Don't forget the private pools at fancy hotels and yoga. (laughs) (laughs) But no, in all seriousness, the ocean is my happy place. I'm also a bit of a beach bum myself. I love spending a day on the sand and taking a boogie board out into the waves. I've also recently picked up scuba diving as a hobby, and I love it. Oh, I saw you hanging out with those whale sharks in Indonesia. (laughs) That was definitely a highlight. You and I both love the water and activities and destinations that revolve around it. So I think we've both tried to learn more about issues facing the world's oceans and the vast ecosystems of marine life that they support. Absolutely. I'm actually reading a kind of mind-blowing book on the subject now called The Sea Around Us by Rachel Carson. There is so much we don't know. I was a bit surprised to learn that something people have been told for decades was imperative to do to protect themselves while out in the ocean might just be a major cause of its destruction. You're talking about sunscreen. During summers growing up, my mom would drop my sister and myself at the local pool every day, but only after slathering us with a thick layer of Coppertone SPF 15, which at the time was about as protective as we thought it got. Of course, now, health officials stress its importance to prevent skin cancer more than ever. In places like Australia, too, it's even more of a focus. That's right, and you won't find me out in the sun without at least SPF 30 on these days. But while I was researching an article for National Geographic Traveler last year, I found out that the very sunscreen I was wearing to protect myself might be doing tremendous harm to the ocean. More and more studies are coming out with disturbing findings about how some of the most common ingredients in sunscreen, and other skincare products too, are irrevocably harming coral reefs and other sea life. So for today's episode, we're going to talk to an environmental scientist about the impact of sunscreen on marine environments. We'll also hear from the founder of a reef-safe sunscreen brand that you can find in most major chain pharmacies and a hotel executive in Hawaii who helped steer her company toward a reef-safe strategy that eventually pushed the state to ban unsafe products starting next year. Welcome to Conscious Traveler. We're your hosts, Catherine and Eric, and we're excited to dive into the world of meaningful, mind-opening travel with you. With our stories and interviews, we hope to make it easier for you to indulge your curiosity and seek out rare experiences wherever you choose to go next. First, let's hear from Katie Day at the Surfrider Foundation, whom we caught up with earlier this summer. Katie, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. All we hear about, especially in the height of summer, is how important it is to wear sunscreen at all times to protect ourselves from those harmful UV rays and things like skin cancer, discoloration, premature aging and stuff. But it turns out that a lot of sunblock is actually harmful to the environment, but also to ourselves. So what's going on exactly? Yeah, well, you are absolutely correct. Sunscreen is a very important and valuable tool to protect ourselves from the harmful impacts of UV exposure. But researchers are increasingly realizing and documenting that certain ingredients in chemical sunscreens are having severe and detrimental impacts to marine life and potentially even human health, as you mentioned. While some of the chemicals do get absorbed by our skin, much of them actually wash off your skin when swimming or showering. And when they wash down the drain, they don't get captured by wastewater treatment plants. So they actually get released with the effluent back into local waterways or directly back into the ocean. And between those two routes, up to 14,000 tons of sunscreen are estimated to be released into the marine environment each year. 
I actually read that too. It was probably in something that you have written, Katie. And I tried to put that into a little context, but 14,000 tons is like, oh, 14,000 tons for all the people. But that's literally, what, 280 million pounds of sunscreen? <laughs> it's a staggering amount. Yeah, it's yes. a, almost a pound for every American. Or I looked it up and it's about one and a half times the weight of the Eiffel Tower. So that is an enormous amount of potentially harmful chemicals just going straight into the ocean. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> and when we think about it for human health, those chemical sunscreens are designed to be absorbed by your skin, but researchers are finding that they're getting absorbed by other parts of your body as well. For instance, with oxybenzone, a common chemical sunscreen ingredient, one CDC study found that 97% of over 2,500 people tested had oxybenzone in their urine. Other studies have found it in breast milk and in other parts of the body. So it's getting absorbed by our bodies in ways and concentrations that weren't intended. As the demand for higher SPF sunscreens has increased, you know, now you can see SPF 50, SPF 75, SPF 100. Those require more concentrations of chemicals to meet those higher levels of protection, which further exposes marine life and human health to larger doses. That is insane to think about. I just think about all the pounds and pounds of sunscreen I have slathered on in my life before jumping into the ocean to surf and swim before knowing all of this. What sort of research has been done more recently and what sort of ingredients specifically have been found to be the worst? The main culprits, the most common are benzophenone derivatives. So this is oxybenzone, avobenzone, as well as octinacet and octocrylene. There are also, you know, parabens and camphors, which are also added to sunscreens and, and other chemical beauty products that are a cause of concern both for marine life and human health. And unfortunately, you know, these chemicals are not just in sunscreens. Oxybenzone is used in over 3,500 skincare products across the world. So when picking any cosmetic or beauty product, you want to read the ingredients label to make sure your product doesn't contain these harmful chemicals. And when it comes to sunscreen, it's much better to opt for widely available and increasingly affordable non-nano mineral-based sunscreens, which are those physical blockers like zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. These generally stay on your skin longer and don't get absorbed by your body. I will note that size does matter here because even though these mineral sunscreens are less toxic to marine life than their chemical counterparts, the nano-sized minerals, those really smaller sized minerals, have been found to also be toxic to marine life and coral reefs. So you want to go for those larger micro-sized, which is commonly referred to as non-nano mineral sunscreens and pair with covering up and practicing sun management. And this would be your safest bet to protect both yourself and marine life. I guess I've got a two-part follow-up to that then, Katie, which is, first of all, it seems like if you can't pronounce the ingredient, it's safe to say you should probably leave it on the shelf rather than purchasing it. But is the fact that something contains nanoparticles versus larger particles usually denoted on the packaging? And then leading into a broader question, like how long have scientists known that these ingredients were causing these issues for the ocean? Nanoparticles, it does often say it on the label, and this is increasingly becoming more of a practice now that there is a consumer demand to confirm that the zinc and titanium dioxide sunscreens they're using are non-nano. So sometimes if you do not see it listed, it probably means it's nano-sized. 
So it's best to actually opt for the ones that explicitly say non-nano, or you can always call the company, call the brand and ask them, you know, what size minerals they're using because they might even not realize and, and then they'll know to switch to products that are more micro sized. I've done this to quite a few sunscreen companies and they've like turned around and released a non-nano product after we discussed something. So it's really cool. You can have a direct impact on these sunscreen companies. And when it comes to how long we've known about this, so some of the earlier literature and concern about chemical sunscreens took place in the early 2000s. So not too long ago. I mean, we're approaching like 20, 15 years ago, where studies first identified increased rates of coral bleaching and viral infections after exposure to certain sunscreen ingredients. But it wasn't till about 2012 that this research area has exploded. There have been dozens and dozens of studies across the world identifying a wide range of marine life impacts from exposure to chemical-based sunscreens. For instance, marine mammals like dolphins, they found that it can accumulate in their tissue and get passed down to their young. And a bunch of different species of fish, they've found fertility issues and even evidence of neurotoxicity where after exposure to oxybenzone, the fish have actually changed in their behavior types. They've seen deformities in sea urchins, impaired algae, birth defects in shellfish like mussels. They've even witnessed issues in freshwater environments and species. This really does have wide-ranging impacts. And of course, the one that's kind of the flagship impact is our coral reefs. And this is where they've done, you know, dozens and dozens of studies that have identified impacts, including coral DNA damage, reduced reproduction rates, reduced fertility, and even those young corals that, you know, against all odds are able to get established, they end up having reduced health and reduced fitness and therefore lower survival rates, overall leading to increased mortality of corals in general. But obviously we can make a difference hopefully by changing our habits going forward. I know that you grew up in the Virgin Islands at an eco resort, which sounds like the most enviable way to grow up ever. So I'm curious to what kinds of evidence of this activity you've seen in your own experience, both in the Virgin Islands and just in focusing on ocean pollution throughout your work as an environmental scientist. What are some of the things that you've seen or witnessed that have really hammered this home or made this feel really important to you? This is definitely a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. As you mentioned, I was you know, born and raised on St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands. The whole island is only eight by five miles long, so it's really tiny, and we have a huge marine national monument right off the coast and lots of coral reefs in the area that we depend on for tourism economy, for our beaches, for fishing, and, and you know, as a food source. And I was very lucky to get to be raised in this environment. And, you know, my mom ran an eco resort. So I kind of always had that mindset that we had to protect these resources that we rely on, both for economic value and intrinsic value to support this beautiful marine life that it provides. There are a lot of issues at the global scale that our coral reefs face, especially with the changing climate. The oceans have absorbed. 30% of the excess carbon dioxide in our atmosphere and 90% of the excess heat, which has valuable, huge benefits for life on Earth, for us certainly on the terrestrial side. But that goes somewhere and that's causing the ocean to warm up in, in really severe and staggering ways. And it's also changing the chemistry of the ocean, leading to something called ocean acidification, where that carbon dioxide is turning into carbonic acid and overall increasing the pH of the water, which can stress corals and all sorts of marine life. 
you bring up a lot of interesting points, and it is a very broad topic, obviously, Katie, that some of the numbers you gave to us about the percentage of reefs around the world that have experienced severe bleaching events recently and are under extreme stress are just staggering if you want to pinpoint a few of those. But it does get back to a broader question and one that your own background really speaks to having grown up uh, in the U.S. Virgin Islands is what can people do or how can we think about balancing the economic and tourism value of these areas versus the protection of these waters and the wonderful organisms that live in them that are presumably what we want to go see without damaging them. Education is so important. I think so many people don't ever intentionally want to have a negative impact on the marine environment or on wildlife or on coastal resources, especially I grew up taking people snorkeling and their first time ever snorkeling and witnessing this magical place below the surface that you would never, you know, knew even existed and had never witnessed with your own eyes. You see them light up and they just have this huge appreciation and respect for this environment and all this life that exists. And I think that I've found in my discussions with people from all sorts of backgrounds, when I give them a heads up about the impacts that cosmetics or their sunscreens can have, they're immediately so quick to be like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Like, I wish I knew that. I've been wearing sunscreen my whole life. What should I do? What can I do? How can I switch this to make it better? So I've found that there is a huge interest and drive to have a valuable impact. And I think realizing that our purchasing decisions and our discussions with friends and family are really powerful. And then of course our purchases. So there's a lot of opportunity. And I do want to dive in on what you mentioned about the economic benefits, right? Corals are not just for marine life. They provide substantial benefits to humans in the form of seafood, protecting beach sand, sometimes even developing beach sand, protecting the coastlines from storm events. Corals can dissipate up to 97% of energy during a wave event, preventing our coastlines from getting eroded during storms. I think one of the most interesting examples of that was what happened in that enormous tsunami about, what, 15, 16 years ago, where the Maldives were basically spared from the brunt of the force of that, while other countries without those protecting reefs such as Sri Lanka and Thailand just got hammered and experienced a huge loss of life. And that was one example of just how vital coral reefs are to protecting not only the environment, but the people who live around them. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's billions of dollars of benefit in the US. It's something about like 3.4 billion. In Southeast Asia, where they have more reefs, it's estimated to be a $14 billion economic benefit each year. And in Mesoamerica, it's about a $6 billion. So globally, I mean, there are huge economic benefits to small and large developed and developing countries alike. Across the world, over 500 million people depend on coral reefs to provide seafood, to feed their families, to drive their local tourism economy. And as you mentioned, to protect their coastal communities and coastlines from storm events and related flooding. When it comes to the benefits of marine life, you know, corals are integral to our world's ocean and the health of marine life. They are often referred to as rainforests of the sea and are believed to be the most biodiverse ecosystem on the planet. So that means per square meter of coral reef habitat, there are more types of species and amount of life than anywhere else in the world. And covering just 1% of the Earth's surface, 
corals are inhabited by and dependent upon by nearly a quarter of all ocean species, 25% of all ocean species. And this includes over 4,000 fish species, 800 hard coral species, many different types of sharks, marine mammals, sponges, and more. And, and scientists even estimate that there could be up to one to eight million undiscovered species that live in our coral reefs. We know a lot about them. There's still so much to discover in this environment, and even researchers are looking to them increasingly as potential sources for medicines and medicinal uses to help with human health directly. So I think the bottom line then would be is we need to do anything humanly possible to protect the oceans. What other sort of alternatives do you feel like there are for people if they can't really access reef-safe sunscreen and be sure that it's going to be not damaging the reef? You know, we call it sun management. Cover up with a dark shirt or a UPF shirt and hat, and then you only have to use that non-nano mineral-based sunscreen on the areas that are still exposed. The good news is, you know, originally a lot of times those mineral sunscreens can be really pricey. What's great is that ever since... The first ever statewide chemical sunscreen ban that Surfrider helped pass in Hawaii, there's been a surge of interest in this issue and more affordable and widely available reef-friendly products on the market. I do want to flag that the term reef-friendly is not regulated, so do not be fooled. You have to actually check the label to make sure those harmful ingredients are not included. And I will highlight that now that these reef-friendly sunscreens are, are available in, in huge stores. I mean, CVS is across the nation carry reef-friendly sunscreens. So it is really nice to see that, you know, the demand for this is growing and therefore brands are providing them. So we're seeing it more affordable and more widely available. Katie, thank you so much for your time today. This was really a big learning opportunity for me. Yeah, that's wonderful. Happy to be here and to be a resource anytime if people have more questions or I want to learn about more ways to get involved and protect their local coastline, their local water quality. I encourage you to check out surfrider.org, which is the nonprofit that I work for. They do a ton of amazing work from coastal preservation, to ocean protection, to protecting clean water, to preventing plastic pollution, and to ensuring you know beach access and equity to all. So there's definitely a lot of great ways for you to get involved. We will definitely include a link to that, as well as your own very helpful article on Reef Safe Sunscreen and what to look for, which I use as a resource myself. So thank you very much and hope to see you out in the water soon. Me too. Thanks. After talking to Katie, it's pretty clear just how huge an issue the leaching of sunscreen chemicals into our oceans actually is. But not only that, we still don't know all the effects they can have on our own bodies. To get a little more insight into exactly what goes into a reef-safe sunscreen, what differentiates it from conventional versions, and what kinds of choices each of us can make as consumers to protect both ourselves and the environment, we spoke to someone who actually founded his own reef-safe sunscreen brand. Former lifeguard Brian Guadagno started raw elements out of his garage, mad scientist style, and has since grown it into one of the premier reef-safe sunscreen lines available today. We wanted to know why he had decided to take this on and the challenges reef-safe brands face as they become more mainstream. Brian, Catherine and I were wondering how exactly you got started on the reef-safe bandwagon. What sort of information had you come across and why did you decide to create a sunscreen brand? 
Sure. Well, Eric and Catherine, thanks for having me. I've been an ocean lifeguard my entire life since I was 16 years old. So through that experience and just living on the ocean my whole life, I became aware of certainly of the damaging effects of overexposure to the sun. Always very conscientious about wearing sunscreens. But as I got a little older, I became aware of the harmful effects of chemical sunscreen ingredients, be it for human health as well as environmental health. And once I made that discovery, I really went on a quest to try to find a natural alternative that I could share with my friends, my family, my team, because I felt this was a really important issue and a a big issue, certainly in my life. And I wanted to make people aware of it and I wanted to be able to provide an answer. It was just never happy with what was available for natural sunscreens from a performance standpoint or aesthetic properties. And one thing led to another after a period of a year or two of just doing so much research. And I eventually had my hand at formulating. I turned my kitchen into a lab and began trying to formulate sunscreen. (laughs) That's how it started. I love how you said it was sort of a quest that you wanted to go on to create something that was safe and natural and wasn't harming the reef. But it sounds like you don't necessarily have a science background or an R&D background. So how did you go about even getting started? And I'm curious too, I know you mentioned the aesthetic thing. Oftentimes, a lot of those products just turn your whole body weight. So I know that's off-putting to some people. How did you know how to go about solving that? Well, I definitely did not know how to at first. And as you mentioned, I'm not a chemist, but I became very passionate on the subject matter. And before I even decided I was going to attempt formulating, I just became incredibly interested in it. And over a period of almost two years, I couldn't consume enough information on the topic. For some reason, I was just really intrigued. So it got to a point where I really began to think about trying to dive in myself. I began to to get very focused with what I was trying to accomplish. That first time when I got everything, I brought in the equipment and the ingredients, and I felt like I had such a solid plan. I'd been planning for so long. I began to create that first batch of of sunscreen. At the end, what I had was a lot less like sunscreen and a lot more like a candle. (laughs) And I realized at that point that this was going to be a very long process. So it was another year from there of real trial and error. I was mentored, thankfully, by a gentleman by the name of Chris Vaughn, who was one of the foremost sunscreen chemists in the world at that time. He's since passed away. But towards the end of my process, I was able to connect with Chris and he mentored me in his facility and and really helped give me the finishing touches to really get this product to the point where it was exactly what, what I was looking for. Well, speaking of that, you know, if you look at the ingredients of a conventional sunscreen or a chemical sunscreen, I, I suppose is a better term for it, and raw elements, it's like the lists are completely different. So can you tell us what some of the ingredients are, what the main ingredients are, and how they're different from what you'll find in a chemical sunscreen and why that matters even? Traditionally, chemical sunscreens are made up of synthetic chemical UV absorbers as the active ingredients, as well as the rest of the formula of inactive ingredients being synthetics, be it preservatives, fragrances, things of this nature. Whereas you look at a profile of a truly natural sunscreen like ours, it's a mineral-based formula, and the only active ingredient is a mineral zinc oxide. The rest of the ingredients are all food-based, natural, organic ingredients. So completely different when you're looking at our ingredient list. You recognize everything. There are things that you'd want to put on your skin, like sunflower seed oil. That's what I was going to ask. Could you theoretically eat it? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) In theory, yeah. In theory. (laughs) 
the zinc is a mineral, so it's like sand in essence. Ah. So, you know, it's not something that would be enjoyable to eat. But the rest of the ingredients are definitely, it's like a giant salad almost in a sense. <laughs> that you're yeah. putting on your skin instead of in your mouth. That yeah. sounds pretty healthy. <laughs> and the real difference between the two types, the mineral natural sunscreen versus the chemical sunscreen is from an efficacy standpoint or function standpoint, the chemical absorbers by design, they absorb into your skin. And when the UV light penetrates the skin, these chemicals undergo a chemical process in which they filter the UV light and traditionally transfer it off as heat into the body. But unfortunately, those chemicals break down quite quickly and they're breaking down in our skin, in our body. And we now know FDA has shown us that in the most recent 2020 studies that these chemical sunscreen ingredients absorb into our bloodstream and they persist for days and weeks on end in our bloodstream. And they're absorbing at levels two to three to 400 times more what FDA deemed safe when they first evaluated these ingredients 30 years ago. So this is groundbreaking information here just now in this year that we're receiving and we're becoming aware of. Whereas the mineral sunscreens, the zinc oxide or even a titanium dioxide, they sit on top of the skin. The minerals act like little mirrors, so to speak, and they create a physical barrier. UV light shines down from the sun, they hit the barrier, and then they're scattered away from the skin and from the body. So the zinc never absorbs into the blood, never absorbs into the body, and just serves as a physical barrier. So those are the two fundamental differences between the mineral sunscreens and the chemical sunscreens. That's pretty scary to think about all those chemicals just seeping into our blood so I can understand the desire to have an alternative, obviously. When it comes to efficacy though, what do people need to know in order to actually use sunscreen the correct way? What are the sort of rules for you about how often you need to apply? What to keep in mind if you're going in the water, if you're going to be snorkeling or surfing or swimming? How does that work? Great questions. And it is quite technical and oftentimes difficult to decipher the information. The way that I like to best present it is we're looking to prevent over exposure to the sun. So you have to listen to your body when you get a sunburn or when your skin's turning red. That's your body communicating to you that it's entering an inflammation event because you're absorbing too much of this UV radiation. So that's what you're looking certainly to prevent. And you have to be aware of your body giving you these signs. So we're trying to prevent overexposure. SPF 30 is really the benchmark. You want to make sure that you're using a broad spectrum sunscreen so that it's covering UVA and UVB rays. Mm -hmm. And SPF 30, you're ensuring that you're blocking 97 to 98% of the UVB rays. You want to make sure that it's water resistant 80 minutes if you're going to be snorkeling, if you're going to be in the pool, sweating, active, that's important. So look on the label for the indication. It'll say water resistant 80 minutes always reapply every hour, regardless of what's on the package. If you're an active person, or even if your children are very active, they're in and out of the water, they're using the towel, you want to make sure that you're at least reapplying every hour. And then if you have good results with every hour, then you can maybe look to exceed that a little bit in the next application. Stick with something that works and then begin to understand what your personal body limits are with the product right? Because every equation is a little different. So I think that's really my best suggestion. You asked about how to use it properly. The key is to make sure that you're getting a uniform, visible film over the coverage area to start. And that's how we get that classic covered nose look <laughs> that we love. I'm curious too about the zinc you use. I had read that you use recycled sustainable zinc. So what does that mean exactly? And how can you recycle zinc? Yeah, well, zinc is actually a mineral in the earth. It's mined, and then it can be infinitely recycled as well from these mining facilities. 
And so we source from a supplier that has incredible sustainability ratings. And the type of zinc that is used is really important too. It's important that you look for a non-nano zinc oxide. And what that is speaking to is the particle size of zinc. Non-nano means it's large enough that it will not be absorbed by the aquatic life, by the reefs. And that's important. So if you're using a non-nano zinc oxide, you know that the particles are large enough that if it was to come in contact with marine life, it can't be ingested or absorbed through the tissue. That's something that we talked to Katie Day, the environmental scientist at the Surfrider Foundation, about, and a wonderful time for us to transition to the environmental impact of these reef-safe sunscreens since it's really in the name itself. I'm curious, Brian, we've sort of gotten the science on it a little bit from Katie, but Raw Elements has really been a pioneer with several partnerships that you have been working on both in Rhode Island as well as with Hawaii, which passed a sunscreen ban for 2021. And you've been working with Aqua Aston to provide your products to their guests as well as the For Our Reef initiative. And I was wondering if you could tell us about those partnerships, why you think they're important and how the travel and tourism aspect in Hawaii and Rhode Island, where people like to go for summer vacations, really is an important part of getting your brand out there and the awareness of the reef safe qualities as well as the human safe qualities of your sunscreen. Partnerships are really important for us as a brand. It's a way to collaborate with like-minded entities, be it in the private sector, NGOs, or even in the public sector. So within these partnerships, we're able to collaborate on initiatives together. In the case of Hawaii, Hawaii is pioneer in showing the rest of the world how to take a stand for the natural resources when it comes to coral reefs and sunscreens. The state was the first really in the world to pass legislation to ban the chemical sunscreens that are killing their reefs. So there's some great people in Hawaii on the ground that work to get that legislation in place. We are fortunate to partner with Aqua Aston Hospitality, as you mentioned, in the For a Reef campaign, as well as Hawaiian Airlines and some great NGOs, uh, Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii, and just great groups in Hawaii that are driving the issue. And together, having that larger collective voice really is how we make change. And so the reef safety issue is the genesis around much of the partnerships in Hawaii. And in the state of Rhode Island, the ocean is very important as they are the ocean state. But the great focus there is on skin cancer prevention and safe sun practices. And so partnering with the state of Rhode Island, the governor's office, Senator Reed, who is the author of the Sunscreen Innovation Act, and the Department of Health and the Department of Environmental Management, state parks, as well as private industry South County Dermatology, a statewide dermatology office, and just all of these groups coming together with us as well and forming this partnership where we were able to launch public sunscreen dispensers across the entire state. So statewide, all state beaches, all state parks, and in the first state in the country to be able to do that. But again, it's really that like-minded thinking of everyone coming together for a great cause and for the common good and working together in collaboration. I think that's really interesting that you put it that way, the common good. It's a very sort of American thing to say. But the fact of the matter is we are also, at least when we're in the water, marine organisms too. So what's good for us is also better for the environment in which we find ourselves. And it's incredible that some of these partners are able to work with you to offer this alternative to beachgoers and folks in the water for free, which is really just such a big step forward in in thinking. 
You bring up a good point too when we're in the water and we're in the marine environment and when you see chemicals that are having adverse effects in different types of living organisms, it, it usually is reflective of, of other types of living organisms as well. And so, you know, we see that with the toxicity of the chemical sunscreens to marine and aquatic life. And now we're talking about the toxicity of the chemical sunscreens to, to humans. And so there's that connectivity and that parallel that we all are living healthy organisms and we want to maintain that. And then as humans, when we get into the marine environment, we have to be cognizant and aware that we are a foreign entity there. So not overdoing it with the sunscreens or not damaging and touching the reefs that we're visiting and really just understanding and being mindful of leaving place as clean as possible and leaving as little a footprint as we can. I think that's so well put and goes back to the idea that we like to believe we're promoting is the idea of respecting wherever you go in the world. If you, you know, you go to a foreign country and you respect their traditions and you yes. go into a temple in Cambodia and you're going to respect what they do in there. And it's the same going into the water. You have to respect that environment as well. I'd love to know if there are any other kind of innovations or products that you all have coming down the pipeline. We never sit back on our current products even. We're always looking to enhance our products and make them perform at the highest level as possible. So we're always looking at innovation and technology and, and continuing to enhance our products. The one big thing that has really been strong category for us that we're going to continue to expand into are the the tinted sunscreens, the flesh tone. We have currently three skin tone tinted skews in our mix, and we're going to continue to evolve that with some deeper shades, some lighter shades, because it's something that, that people are really grabbing a hold of and are really enjoying. Awesome. I know personally, I do love the tinted ones because I'm not always in the mood to have a huge white streak across my face while I'm surfing, especially. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today, Brian. Hopefully next year we can have a non-virtual for our Reef <laughs> Foundation yeah. Day and we can meet you in Hawaii for it. And in the meantime, I'll be slathering some on and enjoying myself without worrying about my impact either on my own health or that of the environment around me. Thank you both. Thank you for covering the topic as we all believe it's a really important one. Our final guest today is Teresa Van Grunen. Teresa is the Assistant Vice President of Corporate Communications at the Hawaii-based hotel chain Aqua Aston. That's right. We spoke to her from Honolulu, so you might hear some tropical birds and beachgoers in the background. Teresa turned her passion for the ocean and the environment into a corporate responsibility initiative that eventually led the entire state of Hawaii to pass a ban on non-reef-safe sunscreens that will go into effect next year. It's a great example of how the travel and tourism industry can affect positive change in unexpected ways. Hi, Teresa. How's Oahu today? Hi, Catherine. Aloha. Oahu is beautiful as usual. We're really excited to speak with you about Aqua Aston and your Four Hour Reef Sunscreen Initiative. I know this was a personal passion project that you really took the lead on starting for the company. So I'd love for you to tell us about what it was that you discovered and what led to the formation of the Four Hour Reef Sunscreen Initiative. Sure. I moved to Hawaii in 2014, so I'm not born and raised here, but I arrived sort of bright-eyed and head full of dreams about what paradise was going to be. And for the most part, it is paradise in Hawaii, but we're also one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world. 
And in my job, I work for one of the biggest hotel management companies in the state. And so I started feeling this sense of responsibility that I had come to enjoy this beautiful, natural place and that I got this great job to help other people come and enjoy it. But obviously, there's always going to be an environmental impact of that. And I started reading a lot of news about the Great Barrier Reef at that time in 2014 was experiencing coral bleaching. And in Hawaii, we were experiencing that as well, obviously to a smaller degree, but it got me thinking enjoying the ocean is something that our guests really enjoy. Most travelers want to come and experience the ocean in Hawaii. We're always taught to wear sunscreen and protect your skin. And just the more and more I was reading about coral bleaching, it became apparent to me that there was a link in some cases to sunscreen. For example, some of the most popular tourist places around the world were also the same places that were experiencing the worst levels of coral bleaching. That really shocked me. And I figured that not a lot of people know that. It got me down a certain path where I wanted to know more. And I started talking to people, different nonprofits that are environmentally based and also scientists. I I came into contact with Dr. Craig Downs, who's the scientist that really discovered the link between certain ingredients and sunscreen and coral bleaching. So I started this conversation with all of these different individuals who had different knowledge bases. And I realized that as a hospitality company, my organization could actually make an impact by raising public awareness about something that most of us didn't know about at the time, which is that certain ingredients, not all, but some ingredients in sunscreen, specifically oxybenzone is one of the worst ones, can cause coral bleaching. And so if you can make positive choices with the certain kind of sunscreens you choose, like mineral sunscreen, for example, then you can protect your skin and the environment at the same time. So that's really the campaign in a nutshell. Tell us some of the unique things that Aqua Aston does for its guests in terms of providing reef-safe sunscreen, because it really was a pioneer, not only in educating guests, but also in actually giving them the sunscreen that they could use during their stays. That's a good point. We were really careful to decide who we were going to partner with, and Raw Elements just sort of ticked all the boxes that we were looking for. We wanted product that was endorsed by Dr. Craig Downs as being reef safe. And that was the case for Raw Elements. We also wanted a product that was available to purchase in Hawaii so that our guests would be able to find it. And this particular product, Raw Elements, is used by the lifeguards and it's used by surfers. It's available for sale in some of the surfing shops here in Hawaii. We provided our guests with free samples when they check in. We also created dispensers that were installed at our hotels and resorts so that our guests could use it for free. And we also made it available for purchase right at our property. So we really wanted to make it convenient and easy for people who are on vacation to make a good choice. Teresa, what are some of the ways that Aqua Aston and the properties go about educating guests on sunscreen and the reef safe aspect of it? We do it in a few different ways. We have actually created some advertising that we ran on TV and radio here in Hawaii because we also wanted the local community to know about this issue. And then at our properties, we have an informational piece that's provided at check-in as well as in the guest rooms. For properties that have closed-circuit TV, we 
run the informational advertising spot. It's like a 30 second and it's just, we were very careful in how we structured that creative. We wanted to make sure that it was positive and uplifting mm-hmm. and not negative and sort of telling people what to do. Um, because we realize that not a lot of people are aware of this. And as long as it's easy and convenient, pretty much everybody is okay with choosing reef safe sunscreen. We also did beach drops in the community where we went to the beaches and just basically passed out free sunscreen with information about why it was reef safe. That's such an important point that in order to get people to use a new product or try one, it has to be easy and readily available. And, you know, in some cases, free doesn't uh, hurt. But I also wanted to ask you about Hawaii's upcoming sunscreen ban. Starting in 2021, the sale of chemical sunscreen is going to be prohibited in Hawaii and only reef safe brands and products will be available. And your campaign was one of these seminal contributors to that ban actually being passed. And I was sort of wondering if you had some overall thoughts on the role of hospitality companies like yours, as well as the partners you enlisted in the campaign to get that ban passed and to affect positive change. Sure. So, you know, it was really creating a conversation When I became aware of this issue myself as an individual person, I felt inspired to make a change at my company. And so it started with persuading the decision makers and our leadership, even the very head of our organization, and don't forget the legal department, that (laughs) this was a valid concern and something that we could have a voice in. And once that was approved and we started our campaign, I started reaching out to different organizations, different hospitality companies, airlines, even the tourism authority, and told them what we were doing, how we were doing it, why we were doing it. And slowly but surely, we started to see similar campaigns coming about by different organizations. And it started this collective conversation in our community about it. What was really striking for me was how quickly things changed between 2016, when our campaign really officially kicked off that year, a bill failed in the legislature pretty quickly about banning certain ingredients in sunscreen. And then two years later, 2018, it was proposed again. And after our campaign launched and all of these other similar campaigns launched, that second bill passed quickly very quickly. And it was just such a moment for everyone involved to realize, wow, we we did something good here. And I know in a previous chat, you had mentioned the Hawaiian word kuleana, which you described as the responsibility of protecting the environment and mother nature, which I think is just such a great reminder. And hopefully other businesses all over the world will be following in your footsteps soon. Thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you so much. Mahalo. Well, I wish we were on a beach in Hawaii slathered in reef-safe sunscreen ourselves, Catherine, but the best I got is a hike later once the heat of the day has passed. How about you? I'm planning a surf for tomorrow morning. Don't forget your SPF. Oh, don't worry. My reef-safe sunscreen lives in the trunk of my car along with the surf wax and other supplies. Oh, the dolphins and turtles, thank you. We'd like to give special thanks to Matthew Carpenter, who composed the music you heard in this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Conscious Traveler. If our message resonated with you, please spread the word by letting your friends and fellow travelers know about our podcast. For more information, check out our website, ConsciousTravelerPod.com, and follow us on Instagram at ConsciousTravelerPod. 